Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello? Hey, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. He says he can fix it. That's kind of the theme of today's talk. You guys are stuck, and I've come to help you, and kind of got stuck myself. So, hope that works. Today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to get unstuck. Uh, this is our second week. Last week, we saw the first part of the video. We saw the first uh, clue to getting unstuck. A lot of people uh, in their spiritual life will, will find a place where they, they don't see the progress continuing. They feel like they might be stuck in the context of like at a wall, and they can't get, go, go through it. And here's the problem with many people is they don't know what's happening, and then, then they don't know what to do it to do about it. They don't know what's happening, and then they don't know what to do about it. And today, that's what I want to do, is look at some clues. I, I'll tell you, I'm going to say a lot today, and it's going to come at you fast, and it's kind of dense. So it might even be worth your trouble to watch it again, or in a, in a few days, you'll be able to download the manuscript to make more sense out of it, because there's a lot going to happen today. So much so that I'm even going to tell you ahead of time the outline. That doesn't happen much around here. Here's the outline. What is God doing in our lives? How is God doing it? And then what are we to do about it? Okay, what is God doing in our lives? How is he doing it? And then what are we to do about it? What is God doing in our lives? Simply, he's fixing them. He's making it, he's trying to make us, actually he's trying to, he's trying to get us back to the original design and, and to, to make us holy, to make, in our vocabulary, we would say saints, to make us saints. And the power of his spirit, the power of the spirit of God is going to do what, it need, what he needs to do to, to get us back to that place. In the, in the Bible, the definition is holiness. And, and it's throughout the Bible. There's no mystery to what God is doing. The mystery is that we can't figure it out. It's throughout the whole Bible. Here's, as succinctly as put anywhere else in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, okay, so be holy in all the things that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy in all that you do. The one who called you is holy. Be holy in all that you do. Be holy because I am holy. We're in a joint venture relationship with God and, and to, to make us holy, to go back to our original design. He, his spirit is going to do all the work. We need to just cooperate with the work that he's doing. That's our our job in this is to recognize what he's doing and to cooperate with it so that we could be holy in all that we do. And, and what that means is, is, is that if we go back, the holiness is the original design. If we go back to that original design, then, um, I mean, you don't want to be a good friend? 
be a, a holy friend. Do you want to be a great husband or a great wife? Be a holy husband or a holy wife. You want to be, a, you know, an exemplary employee? Here's what you do. You, you, you're a holy employee. It, doesn't it just make sense if we go back to the original design that we, we were originally meant to be perfect, holy, then we would be able to do, the closer we get to that, that holiness, the, the more we would be able to, to do the things that we're designed to do. And we're designed to have great relationships with other people, deep ones. We're designed to work and enjoy that. Holiness is the way we were meant to be. It's, it's, it's God's design for us. So what is he doing? He's, he's making us holy. But what does that mean? What does it, what does that mean? What's he, what does it mean that he's doing that? So I thought it would be helpful if we would look at God this week anyway, and maybe hold on to this, okay, that you would look at God as a sculptor. Like Michelangelo takes a giant slab of rock and, and turns it into this. Just a, a beautiful, mesmerizing piece of glorious art. And here's, here's the way Michelangelo saw his job description as a sculptor. He says this, every block of stone has a statue inside of it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover what that is. Since the first person picked up a hammer and a chisel to make something out of a rock, you can almost hear this universally, that they see something in that stone and they, and they, draw, and they knock everything else off. They see something within the fault lines and, and the way the marbling's taking place, and they see it, and then they knock everything away from that. They remove it. So, some man saw a dress inside a piece of rock, and, and, and this is the end result, but it looks like you could touch it. It's made out of you know, cloth. But that dress didn't just pop out of that rock. Okay? It meant that he had to go after it with a chisel and a big hammer and then to a grinder and... and Right, and then to, I don't know, file, then a sanding, and then polishing, it takes work. And a lot has to come off. Let me put it another way still. You start with a stone, a big slab of rock. God sees something in you. He sees what you were originally designed to do and tears everything off of that with a hammer and chisel, with a grinder, with a file, with sanding, polishing, and makes you into art, into something beautiful, something that says, is that really marble? I mean, how could, how could anyone do that? It starts so crude. Okay? But, but listen, all those chunks that are chiseled off or ground off, that, that's our ego. That's the stuff that's not supposed to be there. The life is all about us. And it's no easy thing to have those chiseled off. But you're going you're to love the piece of art when it's done. When the bruises heal on your ego, you're going to love what uh, you look like. Because God's goal for us, God's, what's God doing? God's making us holy. And, and the, his, another way of looking at it is he's, he's setting us free from ourselves. Okay? Because, and, he, and he's going to do that. By chiseling, and, and he's going to do that also by enamoring us with his glory, his promises, and his attributes. And we're going to be forgetting about ourselves. And oddly enough, when we forget about ourselves, that is when we are most like ourselves. That's the way we were designed to be, is self-forgetful, to be facing outwards. 
Now, is, if, if he's out to make us holy, if he's out to make us like a saint, and he's doing this as a sculpture, is there anything that you and I can do in this joint venture so that we could make it easier, so that the rock of our soul is not the hard stuff, right? Is there something that we can do to cooperate? Yes, absolutely. And it's this. Know yourself. Know yourself. Because the better you know yourself, the more you're going to be able to make sense out of things. Look, look what St. Teresa says. Almost all the problems in a spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. I'm going to say that again. Almost all the problems in a spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Why is it so hard? Why is it so important, rather, to know yourself? Because when God is chiseling and grinding and filing and sanding and polishing, if you understand yourself, you won't be as bewildered. You will be bewildered, but not as much because you'll, you'll understand what he's up to. And you'll, and you'll see that your, experience in, your experiences in life, they're not, they're not vindictive and they're not random. They're purposeful. Right? And, 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 I mean, there's a plan or a pattern that's going on. He sees the real you in there, and he's taking these things off. And the better you understand yourself, the shorter your time, the smaller the tools that he'll need to use. So that's, that's, um, that's why you want to know yourself. So how do you know yourself? How do you, how do you know what makes you you? Well, uh, we've looked at two of those things. Or there's two of, two of the easiest places to go was one last week where we went. That, that was the idea of our bent, how we were made. Not only just how we were made, but what, what, what is broken in that. That thing that we'll probably take to the grave with us. That thing that usually causes uh, reoccurrences of sin. And God is able to, we used the word frame last week. And God is, in his spirit, is going to straighten that frame over time. If you turn that over to him. This week, we're going to look at, in the context of, of sculpting, we're going to call this experiences, the experiences that we have, for good or for bad. For good or for bad, experiences shape who we are. Certainly, the most powerful influence experientially in our lives is our home of origin, the way we were raised, the family that we grew up in. But there's also other experiences in our life that have significant influence on us and, and make us who we are, for good or for bad. So let's look at those two quickly. If you came from a family where the, your parents were positive and purposeful, man, you're blessed. <laughs> you are, I mean, if, the, if your parents understood the nature of the human soul and the uniqueness of yours and parented you that way, if they, if they tried to help you be courageous and tender at the same time, if they taught you and modeled that you needed grit and humility, wow, you'd write them a letter. Tell them thank you. Because... There might not be as much to work on. You have plenty that needs to be fixed, but it, it might not be as much comparatively speaking. If you had parents that neglected you and were raised by she-wolves, you know, Romulus and Remus style, right? And, the parent, and your parents just let the siblings go after each other and, and use shameful vocabulary back and forth and, and, and you felt like you were alone, you're going to carry that into a lot of your relationships, some of you, especially in a church like this, can have overconnected and manipulative parents and, and makes it hard for you to trust uh, people when, and, and their sincerity. Point is, the point is, none of the parenting styles or the, the home of origin issues are bigger than what God is going to do in your life. 
That's, no, that's not a problem for him, and he is out to make you holy. You need to understand how those experiences influence your present and your future. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's not just, again, for better or for worse, it's not just the way you were raised, but there's also significant experiences in our life that have identified us, made marks on us. And these are the things that are not too hard for God, and God's going to make us holy, but they have to be addressed. And, and so they have to be looked at and given over to the Lord to, to, to change, right, to heal. How do you know? How do you know which ones, uh, which experiences in your life, maybe the way you were raised or some experiences that came in your life are the ones that you need to be chiseled off or filed down or ground in, okay? How do you know which ones you want to deal with? Okay, if you're, many counseling books will point to this. Uh, if you look at these primary negative emotions, if you can look back, if you can think back of a story in your life, an experience, a story in your life, and you felt deeply any of these primary negative emotions, it's going to influence who you are. Okay, these emotions are feeling, uh, the feeling of powerless or helplessness, uh, when, or, or sometime where you felt a deep sense of, of shame or dishonor, a fear of punishment, or the fear of uh, being abandoned or alone. Now, again, you can see a lot of graduate-level uh, counseling books, and they're going to bring up at least these four primary negative emotions. And the reason is, is because if you can reflect back on a time, it could have been last week, but sometime in your life where you felt helpless or powerless or alone or shame-filled, whatever, when you, you'll go, when you're in that moment you will swear, you will make a vow that this will never happen to me again. Something happens with these negative primary emotions where you say, not again. I'm going to live my life so that this never happens again. And then sometimes it's not far for us to be able to say, and not for my children. And you, you don't even know you made that vow. You don't even know how influential it was because these stories and this, these vows play a very subtle part in our decision-making until that day. And that day is a modern-day experience where we're adults now, and then something, we're in, a, we're in a moment, we're in an experience that's now echoing back to that original experience and that original vow. And you know how you know that those are connected? You go crazy. Okay? You overreact. If you are, have been coming here for a while and you go to our adult Sunday school classes, you'll know, you know our author and counselor Chris Thurman has taught, and he does this a lot. He'll say in his vocabulary, you have a $1,000 response for like a $10 event. That's how you know there's a lot connected to this. Look, think of the word energy. How could there be so much energy coming from this simple little event that's causing you to fight or flight, that's causing you to go over here and do like anger and violence sometimes, or causing you to completely shut down and leave. If you've ever heard the story, or you might know of one where a husband or wife, something happens, they snap and they just, they just leave. The marriage is over, they get papers sent to them later on, and the other partner's going, what just happened? I would, many times, both parties don't know what happened. Because they made a vow and they said something or did something that was like that event 
where they were never going to do that again. Let me give you a few examples that I felt like, you know, kind of from my life that would relate to some of many of y'all's experiences so that you can see what to do about it and how it relates to our time today. Uh, When our oldest child was going into junior high, we had to renegotiate on the, you know, how we were going to school the kids, you know, uh, public school, private school, or homeschool. And elementary school was not a big deal for us, for the most part, because we moved into a neighborhood with a fabulous elementary school, and that was one of the reasons we moved there. And then it was time for Ryan to go into sixth grade, and we were just, like, sitting down to talk about it, but I couldn't talk about it. I could only freak out about it. I was, I was, I was struck with fear. It was, it, was a, it was supposed to be a simple conversation like a previous one we had about elementary school, but I was bouncing all over the place and interviewing way too many people and, and trying to get the absolute perfect answer on this. And, and listen, I, again, anger is a thing that I do, and, and the energy that was going on. And Melinda's like, what? what is happening here? And I go, I don't know. I'm watching too, and it's creeping me out too. And so here's, what you, here's what's going on. I got a $1,000 response for maybe a $100 event, and I, I, I started going in. Why, why is there so much connected here? And here's why. Because when I was going into sixth grade, that's when I jumped the curb in my life. That's when it all got started, where I started making some really bad decisions, mostly because I uh, was feeling very isolated, off by myself in a very difficult situation that was going on. I started getting into trouble and getting in fights. And I didn't even know it, but I made a vow that I wouldn't do to my child what happened to me. And it was just laying there, just laying there, waiting for the anniversary for it to come back around. And so here, here's what, so, so, right? Here's what you do. You, you realize what's happening, and then you throw truth at it. And then you throw particular promises of God at that. And so Melinda said, okay, okay, if that's the, what it is, First of all, we don't make decisions based on fear about our family. We resolved that years ago, and now you're living in fear. So we're not making a decision based on that. And second of all, listen, Matt, listen, these children we're sending to school, they're not you. They're not from your family. They're from us. See, that's truth. She said, we are much more engaged in our children than your parents were And so it's a whole different situation. And so, look, look, let's do what's best for the kids, not what's safest for you. Let's trust God for that. You see how that that works? Like, see, events of the past lead to overreaction in the present, which is evidence that God needs to get out a chisel, a file, a sander, and say, that doesn't belong to the holy one that I have in mind. That's, that's not part of him. You see? Uh, my, my mother is a very healthy woman. Uh, she worked out almost every day of her adult life, just like her mother did. And at 61, she was a picture of health. 61 and a half. Uh, she was diagnosed with some very serious skin cancer. And I have her skin, and I have her bad habits. And then by 63, she had passed away. It was a pretty big deal in my life, as you would imagine. I was 33 years old. And I want you to, I want you to just, here's, here, I want you to know that between 60, when I am 61 to 63, I have every intention of overreacting. Okay? It's, oh, it's going to happen. 
Okay. And so I'm going to just grab my kids like, stop squeezing me so hard. Dad, it hurts. Like, just tell me you love me while there's still time. Okay. Whatever. So you, you see, it's, it's laying there dormant, but I'm not, I'm a little more aware. I'm prophesying now it's going to probably happen because events of the past, right? That have overreaction in this case in the future are evidence that I'm going to have to trust God in a unique way to grind or sand or buff that off. Okay, and it doesn't listen. It doesn't have to just be uh, negative experiences. You can have positive experiences that produce positive values that still need grinding or sanding. Here's another great illustration that will help maybe um, make sense out of you. When uh, I moved to San Antonio, I was four year old. Four years old. My parents had moved. Uh, every two years for 20 years in the military. When they got to San Antonio, they weren't going to move again. And my dad still lives there. I loved that I grew up in the same house from four years out. I, I just did it. I loved that stability. And I didn't know how much I loved it. I didn't realize I made a vow back in the day that I was going to want this and have this for my children. It was just a value. It's a positive experience, positive emotion, positive value. It became an idol for me. Because like 20 years ago, I was looking for a job and I was looking at uh, opportunities outside the city of Austin. My three children were in elementary school and staying in town had become an idol and I could not discern God's will because I didn't know if I was making a decision between like a Cassidy traditional value and what, what God's will was for my life. See, it was a positive thing with a positive value, but it kind of took over my life. And so I had to, I had to like, God, you got to get something, you got to get on this. This is not part of who I was meant to be anywhere, anytime with anyone. And once that was resolved, then I could be objective and hear God's voice about what I'm supposed to do. You see, hopefully, hopefully it's a little bit clear that um, Things that happen to you past and these primary negative emotions, sometimes positive emotions, can influence your present. When you exaggerate that and overreact, that's how you know God has a chisel out. He's firing up that grinder. Get that file. Let's go. He's going to make you you. He's going to make you you. And the better you know yourself, the easier this is all going to be on you. How does he do this? How does he sculpt you? How does he change you? Here's what he does. He throws life at you. That's what he's just going to throw life at us, and life does it all by itself, okay? And like it says in James chapter 1, we've looked at this already, so I'll just remind you, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Listen how perseverance kind of works if it's faithful. It sounds like holiness. Perseverance, finished, looks like mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Mature, complete, lacking in nothing. That's holiness. Consider it a joy when you encounter various trials. That's life. It's coming at you, and life is a vice. Life is hard, all by itself. And if you, it'll, it'll, it, it will be the squeezing that is the grinder, <laughs> right? Or the chisel, or the file. If you choose to ignore it, that's okay. More life's coming, and the vice gets tightened. You want to keep this up? Life can keep up with you, and it'll turn a little more, and it'll keep turning until the pain of change 
is less than the pain of staying where you are because he wants to make you holy. He wants to make you mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. And this, listen, listen to this. This is where the magic of God works, okay? Because the very things that we fear and idolize, he's going to do his sculpting work, and it's, there's some judo in it because the very things that we fear and idolize will be the very things that, we are, that give us power and courage, right? And, and we can walk over. We no longer care about. The things that paralyze us now put wings on us if we turn this over to the promises and the attributes of God. Hear this, though. The things that used to make us weak are going to make us strong. The things that used to make us ugly are going to make us beautiful. But it is not about faith in God. This is where we get it wrong in the church. It's not about faith in God. That's not the issue. It is about looking inward, knowing ourselves, and applying truth and faith to those particular elements that are getting chiseled off. It's the application. It's the detailed laser-type application of faith. What so many people suffer from is this blanket fog of faith where it doesn't really work miracles. I tell you that because it's throughout the Bible. And a classic example is, is Jacob, right? One of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the faith in the Old Testament, right? And, and listen to what happens in this man's life about the way he was made and the way he was raised. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah, okay? They have twins, Jacob and Esau. The, this family is, oh, it is, it is a wreck. It is a wreck, Okay, uh, Isaac is uh, 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 just kind of a passionate glutton that's surrendered to, you know, his emotions. And uh, Rebecca is a manipulative and, and power-controlling wife, right, and mother. Now, if that weren't bad enough, these twins, they get to cho- the, the parents choose their favorites. So Rebecca chooses Jacob, and Isaac chooses Esau because... Isaac loves just laying around the house while Esau, the hunter brother, goes out and brings him fresh game food. He never has to leave the dining room table. And that just allows, I mean, they're just feeding on each other's sin. And that allows Rebecca to be manipulative and moving the pieces around to get her will. And she's teaching her son Jacob how to do that. Okay? And you can imagine this loving some more than others and picking favorites. It tore the family apart. The, the end of the story is predictable. Everyone got what they deserved. Everyone. And the last time Rebecca saw her favored son, Jacob, is when he was running for his life because Esau was swearing to God that the next time he saw Jacob, he would kill him. Ugly. She never saw her son again. That's not the lesson. Here's the lesson. Jacob chose not to know himself, not to think of the chaos that he grew up in and the emotions that he had tied to those, because when he became a father, he did what came naturally to him. He was the father of 11 boys, 11 boys, and he buys one of those boys, one of them, an expensive, extravagant, brilliant coat and says, here, Joseph, at the time the youngest one, Here's a present just for you. This is a man who grew up in a family 
that was torn apart by playing favorites. And did he, <laughs> what did he think? That, that, that Joseph wouldn't turn out like proud and privileged just like Jacob turned out proud and privileged by being favored? You don't think this coat of multicolored brilliance and expense isn't going to get this boy killed? Yes, it will. And that's how Joseph ends up in the bottom of a cistern screaming and begging for his life because his brothers want to kill him. You know why? Because his dad never thought it through, that the power of God's spirit could change him the way he was made and the way he was raised. And if you ignore the past, that's fine. You'll just pass it on to the next generation. But God's will for your life is to set you free from you. And you'll be so enamored with him that you'll forget all about yourself. And when you forget about yourself, that's when you're most like yourself. That's when you're closest to being holy. God is out to make us holy. He's going to cut off all the bad stuff. You better know yourself so you know what to do. You never got to realize what he's doing with all these chisels and hammer. So what are you to do about it? How should you then live? You should live wisely. You should live wisely. Change your habits. Start, you know, focus on knowing yourself. You will change your habits and get new friends. You will change your attitudes about stuff. Let's look at the first one. Live wisely. Okay. Change your habits. No, about this, know yourself. How many thousand-dollar reactions to $10, $100 events does it take before you realize that there's something else happening, that there's some part of you that's not really part of you? This is the kind of thing that's left on the shop floor if you just kind of turn this over to the power of God's spirit in your life. Live wisely, right? Know yourself. Let God make you beautiful. You don't have to, you don't have to be this chunk of rock. Two, live wisely. Change your friends. Live wisely. Change your friends. Talked about it last week. I'm talking about it this week again. You are most influenced by the people that are around you. And going back to this whole church thing, I, I'm going to use this example for a purpose. Uh, years ago, a long time ago, there was this uh, home group here that met weekly, six couples, great people, all trying to pursue God. Two of the guys got stuck. They couldn't, they couldn't unstick, right? And they were critical and ungrateful in many aspects of their life. And so they sought advice from an older guy, and the older, he was so obvious to the older guy. He said, well, look, look who's in your Bible study. What do you mean? All six of the guys, all six of them are either perfectionists or idealists. All of them. And, and so they don't celebrate what's been done. They just fixate on what isn't done. They're the, what's the deal? We're, we got a glass a quarter empty here type people, right? And so, and so you can imagine that they weren't real happy at work and they weren't real happy at home with their wife and they weren't real happy with the kids. And so then they get together every week to, right? Right? Gather together and build on the momentum of ingratitude. And, and, and so, so, again, these are, these are people that all are trying to trust God, and they probably know a lot about him, but what they don't know is that they're not insightful. They're not introspective. Right? They're not self-aware. And so the, the, the advice to these two guys was pretty obvious. you got to go find another Bible study. Find another Bible study. Find new friends. Find some that celebrate 10%. Look, we got 10% of our glass filled. And they dance because you need to learn how to dance. 
so little life to celebrate. Celebrate the little stuff. Live wisely. Know yourself. Pick new friends. And here's the last one. Change your attitude. About what? About life. This is the great adventure. What we're talking about today. This is the great adventure. We're consumed with comfort and trying to do the easy way when what's really happening is we're being transformed from a block of stone into a gorgeous piece of art. God is working his magic to you know, peel away and cut off all the things that is our, our idols or our fears. We will need a bigger God specifically applied to the things that cause us injury. I mean, it's... Think of it this way, and here's, here's, the, here's why I think it's a great adventure. Every one of us has our own custom elixir of what we need to, to apply in our lives of faith, like the promises and the attributes of God. If you've ever had enough sinus infections where you have to have a custom-made uh, antibiotic, no, any, okay, anyway, it could happen to you. <clears throat> where the general ones don't even work anymore. So you end up going to people's pharmacy and, and, they're, and, they, and they've got a sample of what's wrong with you and they mix something just for you this time, okay? Hope it doesn't happen to you, but you get, here's the point, okay? <laughs> that each and every one of us has a, we're, we're different slabs of rock with different unique souls that need to kind of be chiseled away to find out what's really us and what's whole, right? And so we're all going to have some kind of mixture of feeling a little bit powerless and then so, and maybe a lot of shame and a little bit of fear of punishment. It doesn't matter, but, but you figure out you so you can see what promises of God and what attributes of God you're going to spend the rest of your life focusing on. They might not matter to the person right next to you or even the person you're married to. You might be a person that had this feeling of powerlessness, and so you're going to focus on the passages of God and the promises and the attributes of God that say that the power of God's Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside your soul. Let her loose, man. And that'll be your life is about mostly power. Some of you guys have experiences with shame and humiliation, and you're going to focus on promises and attributes of God where he comes to you and says, you are the prodigal son returned. You have all the honor of King Jesus. That's what you've inherited. You inherited his robe, his ring, and his shoes. So just spend about 40 years thinking about that. Some of you are feeling this fear of punishment and wrath from God maybe because of the way you were raised or experiences that you might have. And you'll need to understand this word, this one word in the New Testament, justification. It's throughout the New Testament epistles, and it says this, that our salvation is forensic in nature. And that means the God of heaven and earth is a mighty judge, and he slams his gavel down and says, and whatever he says is true, and he says, there is no, there is no sin in you. There is no crime to be found. You're free. We each need our own custom mix of the promises and the attributes of God as he's chiseling away and cutting away and grinding away and sanding away and buffing to make it shiny. Some of you guys are probably going to need help with that. It takes courage. I would recommend Celebrate Recovery. There's a table in the lobby. They meet every Thursday. They help us figure out 
ourselves. Know yourself. Go there. This is the magic of the way God works. He takes the idols that we worship that are destroying us. He takes our fears, the things that cause us to cower, and he defeats them. And the very things that make us weak are now making us strong. And the very things that drove us away from other people, ourselves, and our relationship with God are the very things that drive us into him and to other people and make us well within ourselves. Could I rewrite the story of the Old Testament for just a second? We've got just a few seconds. The Esau... Rebecca story with today's understanding. This is, let's just retell the whole story, okay? Rebecca is having her twins. They hear from God. The voice of God says it's going to be the second one that gets the promise, Jacob, not the first one. The older one will serve the younger one. And then Isaac realizes what's happening, and he says to his wife, it's time for me to lead I start, I'm, I'm realizing now as a father that I have to do what God has called me to do. And I resolve on this day that I will not be driven by passions and gluttony. I will be a man of God. And I want you, honey, to resolve not to try to take over and not go around and not get what you want. We cannot be takers anymore. We are givers. We are on the same team. I resolve this day that we will not play favorites, that we will raise these boys uniquely, and we're going to raise them in such a way that maybe Jacob will understand the weight of that inheritance of the promise, and Esau will be glad his brother gets it and encourages him. I resolve this day that I will need you, honey, to help me understand and love Jacob, and I resolve this day that I will help you love and understand Esau. And we will be a family united. There will be no competition for love in this family. And I resolve this day that we end the nonsense of favoritism in this family tree. And we will bless these two boys and we'll bless their children as well. This day, it changes. This day, we understand what God is doing in our lives. And they lived happily ever after. Yeah. It's not about faith. It's about applying faith, about knowing yourself and what God could do if you just let him. What I'd like to do in closing is I'd like you to uh, maybe resolve something today, okay? Why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes and, and, and consider this. You know, just say to the God's Spirit, just say yes. You know, you resolve that you would not run from fears, but you'd face them, that you'd let God in there to beat up the bully that beats you up, that you would resolve to live wisely and look at opportunities when $1,000 responses are given to $100 events, and you'll say, I get it, I get it. Get out that chisel. You're going to need a bigger hammer. That you let God work his magic in your life. Did you resolve maybe that um, you would apply specifically the promises of God and the attributes of God in ways that can absolutely alter all the debris of your ego that needs to be chiseled and filed and sanded and buffed off you? Would you resolve this? 
that you would be holy in all things, that you would be holy as God is holy, that you could change generations of families by this resolve. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.